If you have any other interpretation of who God is, it is a humanistic, antichrist interpretation of who God is. And it's wrong. And you're going to die and go to hell in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall all likewise perish. That's what Jesus said. It's got to be plain and clear. You've got to know that God hates. You got this notion that there's a that there's any being that can exist by the way, any being whether it's God almighty who is above all of his creation, right? Either any being that can exist that ha, that can possess love and not hate is totally preposterous and it's the stupidest thing you could ever imagine in your life. It had to be made up by a bunch of uh, a bunch of acid tripping Jesus people because it's the dumbest thing in the world that there's going to be a God that exists that loves but doesn't have the capacity to hate. That's nonsense. The capacity to have the capacity to love means that you have the capacity to hate. It has to. Right. You it, it necessitates it. You you have to. And right. It's just, it's not possible to be any other way. And they know this, most of them, some of them. But some of them go off of talking points and everything else and they're deceived. But children have to understand that there are things that God hates. And God does hate. He loves as well as hates. And by the way, we're, we're going to explain that today. We're going to go through some things for you to understand. It's very important for you to understand that God, that that God is 100% justified, righteous, and holy to hate. And, and you have to understand that. He is. And people will ask you, well, do you hate? Well, of course I do. Oh, you can't hate because God says that you're to love. Well, I do love my enemies. But I also have a holy hatred for the things that they do. And I'm supposed to. Why? Why? Well, because I'm supposed to love what God loves and I'm supposed to hate what God hates. That doesn't make, that doesn't make me uh, less righteous. That person said, you sound angry. So when you go out, you sound angry when you preach. That's what that bisexual sodomite said. You sound angry. Right? You don't know how angry we actually are, right? Of course. Well, the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. He talks about he will wet his sword. Right. That's not a that's not a game. That's not that's a that's serious. God is serious about that. And we're to have a holy and a righteous anger against wickedness and evil. How can you love what is true and not hate that which is evil? How can you not? It's just it's it's, it's foolishness and insanity to believe anything differently, right? But it needs to be, but, but my argument needs to be scriptural, so I'm going to give it to you. Amen. Proverbs 6, 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, we're not going to get to any of those things today because what we're going to zero in on today is the first verse, and that is dealing with the fact that God hates. That, that's important. When's the last time you heard a sermon about God hating? You don't hear it very often, do you? Most preachers will never talk about that God hates anything. 
They, they never talk about that. You go into your, you go into your, your churches, you never hear about God hating anything. Oh, you, you don't want to talk about it. You want to talk about how much God, God so loved the world. Hey, just as good of a verse as John 3.16 is, is Psalm 6.16 right here. These six things doth the Lord hate. What God hates and what God loves are justifiable in his sight completely. And they're right. And they're just as much scripture as anything else. And they ought not be overlooked. What God hates should not be overlooked by his people. Amen. And his people should preach what God hates too. We should. When we go out on the street, we should preach what God hates. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you tell men that they're in trouble because God, God is angry with them? That God hates what they do. And that they're and that they and and God is not in a covenant relationship with them. Does God hate them? Of course he does. He doesn't love them. Why? Well, right now they're on their way to hell. And if they were to drop dead at that point, they would die and go to a devil's hell for all of eternity under the hatred of God. That doesn't sound very popular. How could you say that? I just said it. Well, God said it. I'll say it again. I'll show you. I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to show you what God says about that. Why? That, does that, now, but doesn't God tell you to love your enemies? Of course he does. He loves them too. Wait a minute. You said that God hates, and but he also loves. God tells you, well, God does love his enemies. You're, you've been the enemy of God before through wicked works, haven't you? And did God not give you breath to breathe? Did, not, did God not give you food to eat? Did God not let you live on his earth? Did, was God not gracious enough to give you time to repent? Right? Well, that's a God that is capable of love and hate. And so are you capable of the same. Right? It's not confusing. It's very simple when you understand it. Uh, God's righteous anger. Because all of God's attributes flow from his holiness. He is always first holy before he is anything else. He is always holy. That means that everything that flows from his, every attribute of his, that his grace flows from his holiness. Amen. It's because he's graceful because he's holy. He has mercy because he's holy. He has long suffering because he's holy. It's not a weakness in God to be long suffering. His long suffering flows from his holiness. There is no weakness in God. His character is he, he is perfection. Holiness is perfection. And God is holy and he is perfect. In that sense, in the sense of perfection, in that sense, he is sinless. When perfection is attributed to God, it is sinlessness. It is, it is absolutely 100% holy. And righteousness. And righteous. And that has to be understood. You know, people don't understand who God is. Because many preachers have hid the God of the Bible from them. They've preached foolishness and nonsense of how to have your best life now. Yeah. Right? Your best life ain't going to be now. <laughs> Eternal life is the best life you can have. And that starts today and it ends, or it does, never ends. It goes on the other side when you're in heaven, when you're in glory with Jesus Christ. But it starts here. 
But total ignorance of who God is is the reason why churches are such a mess today. Just absolute misrepresenting and ignorance of who God is. All right. I haven't even started my opening yet, but I better pray. So then we'll get going here. All right. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we just pray that you guide our steps. Lord, save the lost, strengthen the saved. Help us to go out with fire and power, Lord, as we preach the word of God to sinners. And that, Lord, great fear would come upon them. And great fear would come upon us in reverence for God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The God of the Bible is wholly misrepresented in the world today. He's misrepresented in pulpits all over this country today. Apostate Christianity has taught a God that nobody hates and a God that hates nobody. That God is incapable of hating. The God they describe is like a fat old Santa Claus in heaven that doesn't hate anything but loves everyone and everything. He loves sin and evil and wickedness. He, he, he loves sexual deviancy and perversion. He's okay with all that stuff. He loves debauchery and wickedness. And will even wash the feet of an abortionist and an LGBTQ pervert and won't judge anybody. Recently on the news, on the Super Bowl, they had this advertisement called He Gets Us. What? Yeah, and that advertisement of the Super Bowl, He Gets Us, was about, about Jesus walking around washing the feet of abortionists and washing the feet of, of uh, sodomites and queers and everybody else, right? He's washing their feet, right? What is that? It's a holy misrepresentation of what happened. Jesus washed His disciples' feet. Christian love is not the world's love. The world has no right to Christian love. They, have no, they don't have it. Why do you think Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another? It's Christian love between one another. We don't, I don't show that Christian love to the world. Right? I, we show it to the brethren. Why? Because our love is peculiar, and they're supposed to see that and desire that. And say, what do those people have? Because I want that. That's what they're to see. They're to see, they're to see that love and desire that they don't have it. They're outside of Christ. They don't have Christian love. I don't show that Christian. I'm not gonna go, I, I, I'm not gonna go off to you say, oh, you're gonna be charitable and go do this. Well, if anybody needs charity, it begins at the house of God. Amen. So it's God's people that we do. I'm not saying I wouldn't feed my enemies and do all those other things. We do that stuff, right? But my point is, is that that Christian love, that Christian love is to be showed to brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You don't, you don't um, spend all that money on the world in charity to the world. No, if one of our brothers and sisters, oh yeah, well, if they needed it, would you sell your second car for one of your brothers and sisters to have something if they needed it bad enough and you were the only one that could provide it? I wouldn't do that for the world, but I'd do it for you. Amen. Why? Because that's that love for the brethren. That's not, you don't do that for everybody. It's love for the brethren. We sacrifice for one another in the, in the Lord's church. That's what we do. We show compassion and that charity to one another. It isn't the same. And people need to start defining that and understanding what the Bible says about that. Roman Catholicism and their fake charity that they, that, and their one world do-gooders, stuff that they do all over the world, that's not, that's not charity anyway. In fact, they stole it all anyway and just gave it to somebody else. They, they ain't giving nothing to nobody. They just steal it by gunpoint. Amen. Amen. That's the way it works. 
Let's, I, I, I'll share more of that with you today, uh, this afternoon when we talk about the Crusades Part 3. We'll, we'll get into that, and I'll show, you, I'll show you more of that, right? Anyway, we'll keep going. Who is their God that they describe? Their God is a fat fairy up in heaven that only has jolly feelings and never had bad feelings toward anyone. He's just a big fat fairy up in heaven running around spreading love, lovey pixie dust everywhere. I'm just throwing stars of love out to everybody. I'm just, it's like some fairy. That's what it is. Right, you ain't never been to church before where a pastor said something like that. I know, I get it. I get it. But that's, that's the God that they serve. That's the God that they emulate. My God does, I know, your God's the devil. He's a Baphomet, Baphomet looking, queer selling God. Yeah, that's, of course. Absolutely. I just tell him, yeah, I know your God when your God's the devil. You you follow devils. That's that's why your God, you don't know. We follow the authority of the scripture. Our God is defined in the Bible. It's not defined by my feelings, it's not defined by what I think, it's not defined by my own understanding, it's defined by the scriptures who God is. That's why he gave you the book. Why don't you use it? Why don't you use the book to find out who God is? Instead of using something else. And then somebody tells you something about God and you're like, oh no, I'm out there preaching or, I, or I'm out there living my life for Christ and somebody said something and now I don't know what to say. Really? Look in the Bible and see what God says about it. You'll find out they're a stinking liar is what they are. They don't know who God is. I tell them that. Just like that guy that was running around, we were out there preaching. He, he's running, he was running around up there at that event up there at the Winter Carnival. And he was saying, well, we do, I do things this way. And I, I do good works. And I do this. And I do that. And that's what I do. And I was like, I don't care what you do. Amen. I, why would I care what you do? What's the gospel? Right. He was gone. Why? He don't have no gospel. He don't know who God is. He's serving that big fat fairy I told you about. That's who his God is. Right. <laughs> That's what Garrick did over on the other side. He did that. <laughs> yeah, he did. He learned that from watching you. That's, yeah. 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 But that's it. <laughs> By the way, turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. And we're going to show you, this is, this is the God that, this is what they did. This is what mankind does with who God is. Romans chapter one, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. See, when we go out there and preach, we don't profess ourselves to be wise. What do we do? We profess the book to be right. We, we don't go off our own wisdom and say, well, we're really wise people, no. We have a book. Our authority is this book. Not them. Their authority is themselves. Like that, like that lady told me. Well, I, I, it's my heart. Well, I know. It's like a sewer. Stinks. Like rat poop. That's what your heart is. It's defiled. It's disgusting. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's rotten. Right? Amen. Come on, that's what God says. It's filthy. It's abominable. They did vile things and they were filthy and abominable. Oh, you can't say that today, right? 
Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. You made a God that looks like you. That's what you did. And that's what you tell those people when you're out there and you say it by the authority of the Bible. And don't you back down. Square your shoulders and preach that book. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. I'm on a microphone and I'm still going to lose my voice today. (laughs) (sighs) Look what they did though. The uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. They just made God like them so they'd like him. The only God they like is the one that's like them. Right. They want, they want the God that's like them. That's what they want. And they're going to do it in the end times in Revelation chapter 13. They're going to make an image to the beast, right? And they're going to make, what's in the image? Just like them. It's just like them, right? That's what they want is a God just like them. They don't want to be like God. They want God to be like them. See, that's the difference. When you get saved by the grace of God, you are smacked down on your knees before God and you are broken before God. And it is God please forgive my sins and save my soul. Make me a new creature. You're not making a deal with God. You're not, you're, you're, not, you're not trying to make God like you. You are repenting and trusting Christ to change you and make you like him. Your need is to be made like Christ. Your need is not for Christ to be made like you. And that's what they've done. That's why they have a God like that. That's who they serve into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. You know, there's a song that came out years ago, what if, God, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home? Well, that's the God that they, that's their God. That's, that's who their God is. Their God is one of, one of them, right? It's, it's, it's them, just like them. So children, my desire is that not only you, but all men know who the God of the Bible is. Because without that understanding, men will never get right with God. They will never submit to Him. They will never be saved by the grace of God unless they understand who the God of the Bible is. So number one, we see that the Lord hates as well as loves. Children, it is not possible to love and and to not hate. It's impossible. The same beings that are capable of love have to be capable of hate. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, if you turn there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 45, you've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and setteth rain on the just, and on the unjust. By the way, Jesus wanted to make sure you understood he was geocentric too. Uh-oh. Right? You see, he put that in there? Right? Yeah, he maketh. He maketh, right? And he is called the son of righteousness, S-U-N, right? The son of righteousness with healing in his wings. That's, that's a reference to Christ in his resurrection. When he rose from the dead, what did he heal? Sin. Yep. He healed the sin problem. He defeated death. That's the son of righteousness rising. Right, right. Amen. That's right. So then, 
there is love and hate. There has to be. It's not logical that if God loves some that he doesn't hate others. It's not logical. That God loves righteousness but hates sin and wickedness. It's just, it's who God is. God doesn't love wickedness. God doesn't love the wicked. God doesn't throw people in hell that he loves. You understand that, right? They're like, well, God loved them and they're in hell now. And God, God loves them actively, right? He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is an act that is upon a covenant. That unless you receive that, you will die in your sins. Jesus said that, right? That's what Jesus said very plainly. If you believe not that I'm he, you shall all likewise perish. You'll die in your sins. That's God's act of love to send his only begotten son. And the way you enter into that love is by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you reject that love, then you die and go to a devil's hell. And you're not down there and God's not actively loving you while you're in hell. Because God doesn't put his own children in hell. Amen. Friend, that's just the truth. God doesn't throw people he loves in hell. It's just plain and simple. We really got to learn to like differentiate that goat preaching with actually sheep preaching that's, that's actually meant for the body and tell people the truth. It isn't, there's, there's nothing, I'm not, I'm not preaching Calvinism to you. I'm not preaching Armenianism to you. I'm preaching Bible to you. Right. It's just plain Bible. That's what it is. You don't have to, you, you don't have to like it, but you better repent and believe it. Otherwise you're going to be in trouble with God because that's just the truth, friend. That's what it is. It's God. God makes the rules. You don't. I don't make the rules. Well, I don't like this. Well, ask God to change your liker then. You got a problem with it. If you got a problem with God, you got to get right with God. God don't have to get right with you. You just remember that, sinner. God don't have to get right with you. You have to get right with God. Don't you ever approach God thinking God did something wrong and he's got to get right with you. No, no, no. You did something wrong. God, show me what I did wrong. That should be your response when you approach God. Not questioning God, thinking, well, somehow something's not right here. Must be something wrong with God. Uh, no. There's nothing ever wrong with God. He's always right. There's something wrong with you. That's the way it works. And that's for all of us. We all submit to God. That's, we all submit to his word. Right? Is it, whether you're a pastor, it doesn't matter who you are in this world. Doesn't matter. You're all naked at the foot of the cross, and you're all going to be naked at the judgment seat of Christ, standing before God. Amen. Or at the white throne judgment. So there ain't going to be no, there ain't going to be no respecter of persons with God. It's the way it is. Amen. Just remember that. I'm going to preach to you a God that doesn't exist or something that's made up in somebody's lab somewhere. I'm going to preach you the God of the Bible. What he says, we have to submit to. Amen. Hey, sometimes we don't like what God says. That's, that's normal. We're depraved by nature. Of course we don't. But when we ask God to help us, he shows us why we ought to like what he likes. Most of the time our children are, you know, our children are immature, right? So you don't understand some things. So when they're immature, when you're trying to explain to children things they don't get, right? They don't understand it. Sometimes there's things about God that you just don't understand yet. But you just have to be obedient and hang on and he'll show you. You'll get it. Amen. You'll get it. There's things years later that you'll understand. But don't be rebellious to him. Just submit to it, and God will show you later. Amen. He'll definitely show you in eternity, right? If he doesn't show you right now. That's the way it goes. 
See, we see that God not only loves, but he hates. The word abomination means something that is hated, an object of disgust, detestable. You you get that, right? You mean a, a sinner could be detestable to God? Yeah, they are. Of course they are. Of course, of course. And we all were. Amen. Well, that's, it's hard to believe that God would, God, that, 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 well, God looked at his own people, Israel, and he said, my soul shall abhor you. Do you get that? That doesn't make me question God's love. It makes me question me. Yeah, right. Right. (laughs) My soul shall abhor you. That ought to send shrills through you. Amen. That God said that to his own people. My soul shall abhor you. Well, you don't ever hear preaching on that, do you? I mean, you do by our men. We preach it. We tell them. Right? Praise God. My, my, my preachers here, they go out and preach the gospel in this church. They do it and pastors won't do it. They do it, though. You do it. Amen. Why do you think I want to have some other preacher come in here and preach to you guys? Why would I do that? They don't even (laughs) preach what you do. The world would I want to, what in the world would I want to do that for? If I'm doing my job, I ain't got no problem with somebody standing up and preaching. I got a whole room full of men to do it. Amen. It's the way it is, friend. It's the way it's supposed to be. Pastors leaving off this earth and not having anybody in their whole church. Send them all off to Bible college. What a mess. You ain't got a man among you. You got to go look out around you. Like Clarence Sexton's church. You're talking about, oh, we're going to look and find some graduate somewhere and go go find. Really? There ain't a man among you that can stand up and, and, and take that flock and serve the Lord, even temporarily in that case? You know, the church decides that that man is ready or whatever. You know, I, I get it. But it's just, it's, it's, it's so odd. It's so foreign to me. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing that you don't have any men? That's just ridiculous to me. I, I, anyway, all right, that was free. I had a, what, yeah, it is Protestantism. That's right. That's Because Baptists didn't do that. Baptists just had men. They were like, okay, let's go. One fell down on the ground, they buried him, said, all right, let's get to work. Amen. Let's get to work. That's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to train the men. We are supposed to train the men. We are supposed to do that as a church. We do it, and we train ladies. That's what we do. And if you think I'm going to bastardize that out to somebody else, you got another thing coming. I ain't giving my precious fruit over to them. No way. Man, I don't know why I'm so fired up today. I just am. I've been, I've been beat up by the devil all week, so I've been waiting for this, I think. I'm ready to go, man. I'm going to lose my voice. <clears throat> all right, that's okay. We'll keep going. You just have to turn me up higher, right? That's all right. I'll gargle. Somebody's got some throat spray around here somewhere. I'll just... Scott's got a whole bag of cayenne crack there he's going to give me. And just... Here, swallow this, preacher. <laughs> and you're going to be able to talk. He got in that stuff. Oh, it's powdered apple cider vinegar, I think, or something. I don't know. Mixed with a little bit of bitters. Just take it, preacher. Shut up. Just take it. All right. All right, I'll take it. Here, just take this. Somewhere I got that spray. There it is. I'm going to need that, I think. Okay, thanks. No, don't throw it at me. 
Garrett can't handle more than three squirts of that. He starts getting a little soft. No, that's Jacob. I'm sorry. Garrett can handle it. That's true. Thanks, Brother Dave. This is going to be a three-hour sermon, so I got to... <laughs> They put in that stuff. Anyway. All right. It works, though. It's good stuff. Abomination, right? Something that is hated. The modern God that loves everything and does not hate sin is an idol. It's just an idol they made. They formed it. That's not the God of the Bible. As much as God loves, he hates. Do you understand that? That's what makes his love so great. Do you get that? Yeah. Do you understand that God's love is so great because of, because of the fact that he hates? Yep. That's, that's, that's the attraction of God's love. Well, I don't want to be a hated object of God. I want to be in his covenant love. Well, how do I get there? By what Christ did for you on Calvary. Do you see that? And then I'm loved of God. Because he's the creator and he has the right to love and he has the right to hate. Amen. That's... That's simple, isn't it? It should be. You know, the, these movies that depict God, you know, uh, different movies have depicted God that are out there, and they, they show a God that is like, well, you know, God did have a flood, but, you know, uh, he doesn't really judge people. The story was more about standing side by side with man standing side by side. Yeah, in hell. What are you talking about standing side by side? No, it was God's anger, God's wrath, God's vengeance on sin. And he flooded the whole world. God hates sin, and he hasn't changed any, friend. I, I don't know if you realize that the God has not changed. Jesus didn't change God. Jesus is God. Amen. Do you understand that? God didn't, all of a sudden, Jesus came along, and he softened God up a little bit. He just... just did a little wink and a click with God and softened him up a little bit. And, right? I got this. Right? I've seen fundamentalists do plays like that where Jesus, they, they totally represent God. They, Jesus is like chilling God out a little bit. Chill out, God. Okay, Jesus is, he's chilled God out a little bit and calmed him down. Okay, great. Jesus came and calmed God down. That is just total blasphemy it is that's an abomination it's a misrepresentation that's mary's job right that's that's exactly what they it's i mean wouldn't you go to her to somebody's mother if you wanted them to do something for you no why would i do that i wouldn't do that right yeah yeah didn't work out well God has a wrath, and to pretend like he does not is utter nonsense. It is inconsistent with love. Violent. What is that? What is that abhorring or what is that abomination before God? Right? What are those things? How are they described? Violent anger, vehement ex- exasperation, indignation. That's the wrath of God on sin. Many believe that telling others of the wrath of God is not consistent with his love. But it's not true. It's entirely consistent and is used to teach us of the God of the Bible and how much God hates sin. When do sinners ever hear how much God hates sin? They don't, except by us and men that go out and will preach that. They don't hear that God hates sin. They think God's like just, you know, kind of overlooks it a little bit and, 
you know, he changed over the years. He's gotten softer and he's not mad. at God's not mad at you. Like, was it Joyce Meyer wrote the book? God's not mad at you. No, God's angry with you. Right? Oh, God's not mad at you. Really? No, God's angry with you. Right? No, God's not insane. He's not mad. If you want to go with the King James actual translation of the word mad, what that means, when, when, they, when, when Felix looked at Paul and said, Paul, much learning does make thee mad. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. <laughs> I speak the words of truth and life unto you. No, no, I'm sober-minded, Festus. I'm doing all right in my brains. They're not messed up. Yeah. That's what they say about us, right? You guys are mad. You guys are crazy. Oh, no, we're not crazy. Right? Well, no, we're, we're sober. We understand exactly what we're saying to you. These words that we give to you. That, that is illustrated in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 39 and uh, to 43. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For if I, for I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh. And with that, and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. That was what he said to Israel, right? That is what God said to them in Deuteronomy when he's giving the law. God was very plain. We will not apologize for God's righteous anger and wrath and hate that will be poured out upon sinners. We're not going to apologize because... Should I shudder to preach on the wrath of Almighty God when he poured out his wrath on his only begotten son to die for my sins? Should I, should I withhold that message from you that God poured out his wrath upon his only begotten son to save my soul and I should hold that back and not preach a wrathful God to you? God forbid that I should do such a thing and betray what he has called me to do. You must understand that God is a wrathful and angry God and he hates sin. And he will throw sinners into a devil's hell if, except they repent. God poured his wrath upon his son. His only begotten son. God is holy and because he is holy he hates sin. Psalm 711, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. God judges the righteous, right? And he is angry. What's this God that's never angry? Like, where do these people? It's, it's, it's like Sesame Street stuff. It's just ridiculous. Right. It's Santa Claus. Like I said, their God's a big fat fairy. That's, what, that's, that's throwing pixie dust everywhere. That's who their God is. I laugh at them when they tell me that. Well, my God. Yeah, we know it's Satan. He's a fruit loop. We, we get it. It's one of those fruity Baphomet devils. We get it, okay? We, we, get, we understand. We, we get it, right? We, we know who your God is. And you, you don't have the God of the Bible. First of all, you don't even know what a Bible is. You can't even give us a Bible verse for why you believe what you believe. Right. You say, judge not lest ye be judged. 
right? That's the only verse that they don't know because they don't even quote that right, right? They don't even quote that right. God would not be worthy to serve if he did not have a righteous anger and hatred for sin. Nobody needs to be saved if God's not angry with sin. Do you understand that? Nobody needs to be saved. Mark that down. It's at a profound thought. Mark it down in your notes if you're taking any. No one needs to be saved if God's not angry at sin. If God doesn't, if God's not angry with the wicked every day, just go party and live it up and finish your life out. Why? It doesn't matter because God's not angry. Right? God's not angry. Right? God's not angry with the wicked every day. If God's not, then what do you get saved? Why do you get saved? Right? Come on. That's just... It's plain Bible, isn't it? Let's see. I'm going to read you something here. Robert Haldane the Baptist, he said this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It was revealed when the sentence of death was first pronounced. The earth cursed and man driven out of the earthly paradise. And afterwards by such examples of punishment as those of the deluge and the destruction of the cities of the plain by fire from heaven, but especially by the reign of death throughout the world. It was proclaimed in the curse of the law on every transgression and it was intimated in the institution of sacrifice. In the eighth of Romans, the apostle calls the attention of believers to the fact that the whole creation has become subject to vanity and groaneth and travaileth together in pain. The same creation which declares that there is a God and publishes his glory also proclaims that he is the enemy of sin and the avenger of the crimes of men. But above all, the wrath of God was revealed from heaven when the Son of God came down to manifest the divine character. And when that wrath was displayed in his sufferings and death in a manner more awful than by all tokens God had before given of his displeasure against sin. Besides this, the future and eternal punishment of the wicked is now declared in terms more solemn and explicit than formerly. Under the new dispensation, there are two revelations given from heaven, one of wrath and the other of grace. Amen. God made it plain. God showed his wrath and his anger and his hatred of sin by what he did to the Savior. What he did to the sacrificial lamb. That showed God's anger. God, that showed God's wrath and how God is angry with the wicked every day. The, the gospel, the gospel showed that. Amen. Very plainly, very plainly. It's a, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Amen. Psalm 95, 11. I want you to consider something. There are two times God swearing in making promises and denouncing threatening. Psalm 95, 11, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter my rest. Deuteronomy 1, 34 and 35, and the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear saying, surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. In the former he swears in his mercy to his children. In the latter he swears to terrify the wicked. It's the same God. He swears to, in his righteousness to his, and his mercy to his own and to his enemies. He swears to their destruction. <laughs> Hebrews 6.16 tells us an oath is for a, sol, a, sol, a solid confirmation. Right? It's conf, it confirms it. That was God's oath to himself. God swears as much by his wrath as he does by his mercy. 
Why? Because all divine perfections of God are found in Christ, Him being the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So then we see love and wrath in Christ, and it is perfect. All the divine perfections of God are in Christ Jesus. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Amen. Revelation 6, 16 and verse 17. And said to the mountains, just as, as, as Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. Look at Revelation 6, 16 and 17. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? Not a one. They're going to fall. And that's the wrath of the Lamb. Just as it's the, Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth, He is full of wrath. And he, will, he, will, he will make His wrath known when He comes the second time. Oh, you won't make Jesus go hence again. You won't do that to Him. You won't smite, you won't smite the rock a second time. Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way. Amen! That's what he said in Psalm 2. Why? The first time he came, they smote him. The second time was like Moses when he should have spoke to the rock and he smote the rock. He marred the picture. Jesus came one time as that lamb that was meek and lowly. When he comes back again, it's the wrath of the lamb. Amen. That's the completion of God, isn't it? Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. That's the perfection of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Man, this is good. This is doctrinal Amen. for you here. This is not only doctrinal, it's practical. Amen. I hope you get a proper understanding when you go out there on the street when some loser wants to make you feel like you're, you're, you're a horrible person because you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're preaching the wrath of God to them. What do you think? These jokers deserve to hear the grace of God? The grace of God is given to the humble, not to the proud and arrogant. When they are proud against God, they need the wrath of the Lamb upon them. They need to understand the judgment of God because they mock the Savior and they mock the sacrifice and they mock the fact that God poured out His wrath upon His only begotten Son. And they preach a gospel of lasciviousness and wickedness. And they think that you're supposed to preach the same thing. This world is wholly ignorant of who the God of the Bible is. And I dare say many churches are wholly ignorant of who the God of the Bible is. That's why they look at us. And that's why when we go out there and preach in the open air, they hate it. Why? It's foreign to them. They've never heard it before. They don't even know who the God of the Bible is. So when you introduce it to them, they get angry. They're angry about it, aren't they? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 28. Like that lady said, you know, somebody might, might say, you're kind of angry. Well, yeah, I am. Aren't you? Seeing kids fruited all over the place, chopping the genitals off of, uh, off of children, people misrepresenting who Jesus Christ is, people, people uh, preaching a gospel, lasciviousness, watching people walk through this world in total disillusion and in total, uh, in total confusion as to who the God of the Bible is, not saved by the grace of God, not changed by the supernatural power of God, but then misrepresenting the God of the Bible, and you expect me to be happy about it? What, do you expect me to have a smiley, put a smiley face on and thank God? all is well when the when we're watching people go to hell and the people that are going to hell are in the church pews 
They're going to church on Sunday and they're trusting that their pastors and the messages that they're being given are righteous and holy and true God-fearing messages. And they're not. They're being misrepresented. And yeah, I'm angry about it. I'm not happy about it. I'm angry about it. I'm angry at it when people preach a gospel that leaves people dead in trespasses and sins. And they don't preach a gospel that changes somebody's life and makes them a new creature in Christ Jesus. They preach something totally foreign. And that's why you have girls having babies out of wedlock. And that's why you have all these things going on now in churches. And you have people walking away from churches and they're avowed atheists. And they tell me, they private message me and they're telling me things. They used to go to the same church I went to. You know what they private messaged me and said? Well, look, I may not believe in the homosexual lifestyle, but I believe in putting, if a child needs to be adopted, I believe in putting them in a homosexual's home. Wait, you went to the same church I went to? Wait, you grew up in that church? And you're, and you're telling me, and you're, by the way, this same person got on, got on the Concerned Citizens page and blasted me for being an evil and mean man. Oh, you're just so evil and mean and, and terrible. You need to try to do better. You need to be more like Jesus. Right? Give us Barabbas. That's right. Right? That's what they say, right? That's what they want. They want us to, they want us to, to, to change. They want the gospel to change. As if these jokers come out and say stupid things that are so dumb. Like, like things like, oh, homosexuality, the word was invented here and there. Yeah, but you know what? Queering people was all the way back in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 13, 13, excuse me. The men of Sodom were wicked before the Lord. 13 words. Genesis 13, 13, right? And guess what happened? Christians were, uh, Bible-believing people or God-fearing people were still foolish because what did Lot do? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. What are they doing today? They're pitching their tent towards Sodom. And they're like, we're going to make it out. Yeah, but is your wife going to make it out? Is your children going to make it out? Remember Lot's wife? Remember how Lot ended up? Is that how you want to end up? Go ahead, pitch your tent towards Sodom and see what happens. Amen. Don't, d yeah, d don't preach on that though, preacher. These people make me sick. They're so effeminate when they stand up in their little professional pulpit and they want to look all dignified. I don't want to look dignified. I want you to see spit flying out of my face. I don't care. I don't even care because I only have one life to live. This is it. This is it. So I got to give it all now. Amen. Amen. So it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get up to heaven and God's not going to say to me, well, you follow me too close, son. <sighs> I don't know what your problem was, but you actually believed what I said. And you yelled at people. I mean, you, you got really excited. I mean, I sent you to be like, you know, Ben Stein, like dry eyes. That's how I sent you. I, I sent you to be like dry eyes. Right? You were to be like that. Why did you get excited? Right? Why did you get that way? Why, why were you like that? Why didn't you just back off? Why didn't you tone it down a little bit? No, I, I hope he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I pray, he says. I pray that the mistakes I've made, the sins I've committed, the failures that I've had, I pray that God, God in his charity and his love will see that I tried to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. But I'm never, going to be I'm never going to be faulted by God for following him too close. And neither will you. 
So if they're if the world's gonna hate you, just be all in and let them hate everything about you. Amen. Because they're gonna anyway. People that that straddle the fence, they end up turning into a pillar of salt. To be cast under the foot of men. Right? Worthless salt. Amen. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. With reverence and godly fear. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. You seem to be preaching fear. Yeah, I hope that I can scare the hell right out of you. I, I really, really pray that. And I'm not even using that loosely. I mean every word I just said to you. I really do. Why? Well, because hell is bound up in your heart as a lost sinner. It's there. Like you're, The Bible says your tongue is set on the flames of hell. I didn't use that. I didn't use that irreverently or wrong. I use it exactly right. Right? Jesus, uh, James said save, some save with fear. Right? Why? Because they need it. I mean, you think that people can be, can, the, the Bible can be preached, people can be scared into the arms of Jesus? You bet. Amen. Oh, yeah, and there'll be fruit to it. It won't just be get out of hell card free. It'll be like they, they want to follow him. Why? Because they're scared God's going to throw them into hell, and then they, they trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Well, you have the wrath of God or you have the goodness of God. Which one do you want? I mean, it is pretty normal not to want to go to hell. That's, that's pretty logical, right? But the difference is, is do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented and put your faith and trust in Christ alone? Amen. God says some save with fear. Like, you're okay with that, aren't you? Like, when we go out there, like, you want us to preach sweet nothings. People want us to preach sweet nothings in their ear when we go out there. They hate God. If Jesus was here, if they could do it, they'd stick him again. Do you get that? They, 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 do you get that? They wanted to rape angels. Like, like you get, like, that's the people that you're dealing with now. Well, that's uncomfortable. I know. I get it. Why do you think I'm so angry? Aren't you? But guess what? That anger's never led me to abuse them or beat them or hurt them. What's, it led, what's their anger led them to do? They have a, sat a Satanistic anger. What is it? It's, it's a rage and a wrath. What do they do? Try to knife us, threaten to rape us, threaten to kill us. Tell us that they wish that we were aborted. Right? Spit on us. Stone us. Right? Lie. That, that's what it leads them to do. What's it lead me to do? What does that wrath lead me to do? Preach the gospel to them. To warn them. I use this sword. You want the sword of just defense? It's this one. <laughs> this is my sword of just defense right here. This, this, this right here is. Why? Because it can defeat all of it. It, it, like, we know the way the world's going, friend. Man, I'm telling you what, this, all right. Amen. I feel like I could all day. Remember that our God is a consuming fire. The world will tell you he's a jolly fat Santa Claus or some fat fairy in the sky. No, he's holy. 
and he is always holy before he is anything. And I'll not apologize to you for his wrath or look for a way around it. They're fools. Christ died to fulfill all righteousness that he would take my hell so I could have heaven. Do you understand that? Should I do an end road around it? Should I water it down, the atonement of my Savior? Should I apologize for it? God forbid that I should betray him and do such a thing. I will lift up his wrath as much as his grace. Because it's justified. You better be careful, friend, not to have vain thoughts about God that you invented after your own understanding. It's dangerous. The Lord spoke about this, by the way, in Psalm 50, verse 21. Listen to what he said. He said, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. God said, you thought I was like you? What vain thoughts you have of me. You think I'm like you? You thought, that, you thought that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order. Amen? Um, another quote that I thought was very good was by William Grinnell in his armor, his complete armor that he wrote. He said this, when I consider how the goodness of God is abused by the greatest part of mankind, I cannot but be of his mind that said, the greatest miracle in the world is God's patience and bounty to an ungrateful world. If a prince hath an enemy got into one of his towns, he doth not send them in provision, but lays close siege to the place and doth what he can to starve them. But the great God that could wink all his enemies into destruction bears with them and is at daily cost to maintain them. Well may he command us to bless them that curse us, who himself does good to the evil and unthankful. But I think not, sinners, that you shall escape thus. But think, excuse me, but think not, sinners, that you shall escape thus. God's mill goes slow but grinds small. The more admirable his patience and bounty now is, the more dreadful and unsupportable will that fury be which ariseth out of his abused goodness. Nothing smoother than the sea, yet when stirred into a tempest, nothing rageth more. Nothing so sweet as the patience and goodness of God, and nothing so terrible as his wrath when it takes fire. Amen. I agree. That's Bible. That's a Bible principle right there. As much as he is gracious, as much as he has given people, people say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, number one, there are no good people. So bad things happen to bad people. Why does anything good happen to bad people? That's the question you should ask, right? That's what I ask him when the self-righteous people ask me that question. Why does good things happen to bad people? Why is it? Well, it's the goodness of God. See, God lets you breathe today, and you're his enemy. And every day you live on this earth without trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are his enemy, and you are breathing his air. He is feeding you. He is supplying life to you. He is giving to you. He is caring for you. He has given you people around you and surrounded you with love and care. What more could he do? He sent his only begotten son to die for you. It's because of God that good things happen to you. So you look in the world and you see bad things and you say, well, why does this happen? Well, it happens because of sin. That's why. And God is good and God is just and holy. You don't deserve anything good to happen to you and neither do I. Amen. If you get what you deserve, you're going to be in hell. Don't pray for what you deserve. Pray for mercy. Amen. Lord, I just want what I deserve. Oh, I don't. 
Well, don't you think you're a good person? Nope. Uh-uh. No. I think God is good. I know God is good. Paul said, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul understood his depravity. He said the goodness that was in him was the goodness of God. That's it. It's God's goodness. That's what makes anything about you good. You're saved by grace. Amen. That's why you can do good works. Actually good works in God's eyes, not what the world calls it. Right? Well, what are those? Well, some of those are, are preaching to the lost with authority. Amen. See, the question I have to ask you is this. Do we preach on this holy hatred of God? I wonder if pastors in pulpits, do they trouble mere professors of religion with the wrath of God? They ought to. If someone is living as just a mere professor of Christian faith, but they have no fruit in their life, pastors ought to preach the wrath of Almighty God. Amen. They ought to preach that to their people to understand how much God hates sin. Well, I want to show you a pattern of this that it was preached. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Because some people say, well, that's Old Testament. No, let's go to Matthew, and then we'll go into the, that's the Gospels, but we'll, we'll go in then to the New Testament epistles after that, right? Or the book of Acts. We'll see. Okay? They say, well, the wrath of God is just, it's so Old Testament. Right, Garrick? It's so Old Testament, the wrath of God. You need to get, have you ever had a walk up to you and say that? You need to get it, you need to get into the New Testament a little bit. You know, you ever heard him say that to you? You need to get. I was a preacher one time, in fact, he was like, why are you pulling the Old Testament? I was like, I'm reading from Romans. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Okay. His dum-dum was showing, wasn't it? Yeah, I know, I know how that is. Yeah, I've seen that a few times. Well, look at John the Baptist preached the wrath of God and the anger of God. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say that I grew up in a church somewhere. Yeah, come on. That's not in there, but I, I just... Amen. I'll read the actual right. verse, but that thought is there, isn't it? Right. It's the same principle, right? That's right? And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to, uh, these stones to raise up That's children right. unto Abraham. Amen. See, and now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Yeah. Well, why is, it, why is the axe to the root? Because the problem is the heart. That's right. The root of the tree is the heart of the tree. Sure, the problem is always the heart. If you can't live this Christian life, it's because you're not saved. When you get saved by the grace of God, you can live this Christian life. I'm not saying you're going to live it perfectly because none of us do. But when you tell me I can't live it, it's because you're not a Christian. That's why you can't live it. You ever seen people out there and they can't, they, they just try and they can't, they really are trying, right? They, they come in, they, they go and then boom, they just run off and run to the bottle or they run to the, uh, permanently, they run to, they, I'm not talking about backslide, I'm talking about they never been, they never forward slid yet. All right, they never slid into first base yet. They're, they, they're, their, whole, their whole Christian life has been backsliding. It's like, that ain't possible. All right, your whole life ain't backsliding. Okay, you gotta go forward sometime. I'm not saying you can't backslide because we all know that we are capable of it and have. Okay, the point is, is that your whole life should not be that way. <laughs> 
Backslidden is defined by those that have went forward already, right? It's defined by those that have already walked forward in this life, and they get caught up, or they, they fall into sin, and they, a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, right? right? Amen. That's the completion of life, right? They, they continue on to serve the Lord. Well, Jesus said it. Jesus preached it. So John the Baptist preached it, right? The wrath of God to sinners. Luke 12, 5, Jesus preached it. He said, but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. You better fear God, right? You better fear God who can throw you into hell. By the way, they don't like it when you preach that, do they? If you preach that, right? Fear, fear the one that can throw you into hell. You better fear him. Wait, you want me to be afraid of God? Yeah, I do. I think, I, I can't believe you're not, <laughs> right? You should be, you should be. And that fear turns into a godly reverence, right? Amen, it'll go somewhere. Hath power to cast into hell. That's the wrath of God. That's what he's saying. He, Jesus is preaching the wrath of God. And then the apostle Paul preached it in 2 Corinthians 5.11. Why is that important? Well. Because if Paul is preaching that, yeah. right? Paul is, wrote the epistles to the, to the churches, right? So Paul is who? He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Who's that? You, right. right? He was the apostle that wrote to the churches. So if Paul repeats what Jesus said, what John the Baptist said, what all these others say, if you see Paul repeat that again, that is directly given to you, That's right? Yep. Right? That is directly given to you. That's not hyper-dispensationalism. That's just rightly dividing the word of truth. All right? That's just, that's just plain Bible. Because who did Paul write to? I'm not going back into the Old Testament for principles of, of, of church, church governing. Why am I not doing that? Well, because the church isn't there. That's why. <laughs> it's right here. That's a, right? So Paul told us how the church is supposed to conduct itself. Right? If half the people just read the Bible, they'd figure out they don't need to vote on any of this stuff. Yeah. They would just actually follow what the scriptures say. Right. And by the way, when a pastor stands up and gives people a vote on something that God has already said, or he's really abdicating his authority anyway. Yep. He has authority in the gospel. He has authority in the Bible. Why would he hand that over to public Amen. vote or to the vote of the right. church to vote on that? Why would the church even want to do that? Right? We should all look at that and say, we don't preach it. We don't need to vote on any of that. That's Bible. We just need to live for God. We just need to obey what's already written for us. Half the garbage they do, all that waste of time. People that care about all this other stuff, churches splitting over all that garbage. Why? They don't fear God. Over, over carpet and all that other stupid stuff. Like, you really care about that stupid building you have that bad? Really? It is vanity. It's, it's a waste of time to care about that like that. What did Paul say, though? 2 Corinthians 5.11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Wait, Paul said, so we know the terror of the Lord. And because we know it, we persuade men. So what was he saying? He used the terror of the Lord to persuade men. Right? That's what he used. He made sure they understood that God is righteous. God is holy. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. 
Same apostle. Right? Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Faithfulness demands that we speak as faithfully about hell as we do about heaven. That's faithfulness. That we preach as much about heaven or hell as we do heaven. Absolutely. That needs to be done. Right? True Christian love. True Christian love. Now let's talk about the disciple, right? Christian love involves hatred of sin. There is no way you can express, look, we couldn't even meet today if we were all living in fornication, living in wickedness, living in the world, boozing it up, partying, doing all this stuff. And if we came together, we couldn't come together. Why? We'd be fouled up like you wouldn't believe. Why? Because of sin. That's why when you have a local New Testament church, the, Paul put, laid down the, the discipline in the church. He laid it down what it was supposed to be like. Why? Because if those that don't want to live for God, like that, like that lady asked me, are you saying that, that so-and-so, you know, I said, look, it don't have to be a sodomite. If it's some man that's an unrepentant drunk and he doesn't want to get right with God and he wants to continue to drink his booze, party, do his drugs and do all those things, and he doesn't want to get right with God, he can't fellowship with us either. Why? Because the Bible says to cast them out until they repent. That's Bible. Right? Or a drunkard, or a railer, or an extortioner. What if we had somebody here that was extorting money from people and taking advantage of them and extorting them for money? You know? And to, it, we, they couldn't fellowship with us. Right? Unless they repented and they got it right. Or living in fornication. I told them it doesn't have to be, it isn't just, it isn't just homosexuality, it's fornication, period. Any sexual deviancy like that, it's, if they don't repent of it, they can't be here. I told that, that uh, sodomite lady that. It's not, we don't pick and choose, we're not picking just one sin saying, well, it's because of the homosexuals, it's because of the sodomite. No, it's, it's any living in unrepentant sin that God lists in there. Right? that we, we can't. So true Christian love involves hatred of sin and error. God, who is love, hates some things, and his people must hate some things. They must hate what God hates. Look at Psalm 119, 128. Let's go there. Believe it or not, we're almost done. Almost, but not quite. Almost. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. Wait, so God is right about everything. Yeah, it's right here in this book. So what he says, yeah, God's right about everything. And we're to hate every way that deviates from what this book says. Well, I'm, I'm commanded to hate it. I'd be a horrible Christian if I didn't hate it. You know how many horrible Christians there are in America because they don't hate sin? Professing Christians because they don't hate sin? Right, they, they don't hate it. And their own, particularly, our own sin, right? Which is the worst for us. Has the worst effect on us. Romans chapter 12.
Uh-oh. Romans chapter 12, verse number 9. Look at this verse. Paul's giving instructions, right? Talking about being conformed, not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Talks about that, right? What does he say in verse 9? Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. You know what abhorring means? It's a detestable hate. Like it's a loathing and a detestable hate. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Wait, so that's part of true love? Yeah, it's love without hypocrisy. Do you get it? I'm going to say it again. That's love without hypocrisy. That's true Christian love. That you, that you love without dissimulation and you abhor that which is evil. Hate. Extreme hatred for. Revelation 2.6. Now we're going to get into Jesus hating. Wait, Jesus hates? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. He warns the church here, the church at Ephesus, right? Let's go, uh, Revelation 2, let's start with verse 5 here. Actually, verse 4. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Look at verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Wait, God, God hates their deeds? Yeah. He says, I'm glad you hate this because I hate it too. That was that priestly order, by the way. Right. Wait, so are you saying God hates the entire Roman Catholic papacy? Right. And yes. Absolutely hates it. Yep. Really? Well, yeah. That was a priestly order that they had set up. That was a laity versus the, the priestly order, right? The clergy versus the laity. Right? He says he hates it. He says, I'm glad you hate it. I hate it too. Wow. You almost think that was in there prophetically for, for you to see that so you would know to, to hate that and you would stay away from that. You wouldn't be in churches like that because you would see that God hates that and he wants you to hate it too. Amen. Yeah. Pretty clear, isn't it? God is pleased. It shows here that God is pleased when he hate when we hate what he hates. The seven things that God hates actually encompass every sin and transgression against God's law. Seven is the number of completion and perfection in the Bible. We see this in the first mention of seven, of seven in the scriptures. That's Genesis 2:2, where God rested on the seventh day after creation. Man's pride against God and his fallen heart that deviseth the wicked imaginations is the root of all sin. From this flow the lying tongue, the violent deeds, the running to mischief, and false witness and discord. We also see and understand man's condition that man has become completely corrupted 
in his fallen condition. He commits sin in his face, with his face, with his eyes, with his tongue, with his heart, with his feet, and with his mouth. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Wait, you mean like all of his senses and everything? Yeah. Wait, like all of, all of his senses are corrupt? Yeah. So maybe that's why I shouldn't say, uh, I should, I, I'm not supposed to trust like my senses. I'm supposed to trust God. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Why? Because you sin with all the other ones. They're all capable of sin. <laughs> right? They're all capable of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse number 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Look, they sin with their throats. With their tongue they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Look, we heard that, don't we? When we go out there and preach, we hear what they say. Poison. Poison. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We go out there, we can see it. They don't fear God. They blaspheme his name, they laugh, and they mock him. Solomon teaches his son about what God hates so that he will learn to know right from wrong. By the way, if you want your children to understand right from wrong, teach them what God loves and what God hates. That's what we teach them. That's the reason I'm teaching you this today and preaching this to you today, is that you understand what God loves and what God hates. And that God, as much as God loves, God hates for you to understand that, for you to grow up and understand that as children. And you grow up and you say, this, this God that they're preaching out there is totally false. It's not the God of the Bible. It's Antichrist, and they're deceiving men's hearts with it. So Solomon is teaching that, right? Uh, Solomon is, is learning from this, and, and people do not naturally know truth and righteousness. They don't. They think they do. They think they know what, what truth is, right? But they don't. Young people will not be sensitive to sin unless parents and teachers teach them what sin is and emphasize how evil it is before God. See, your children learn what sin is. They learn how to sin by a sin nature, but they learn what God thinks about sin from you teaching them. Do you understand that? Like, you don't have to teach them to sin. They already know that is in their fallen nature. But what you do have to teach them is, is what God thinks about that sin, what he says about that sin, what is true and what is honest, what is righteous and holy and what God hates. You have to teach them that. You have to teach them what God loves and what God hates. And they're going to come to a place in their life where they see it is utterly impossible for them to obey God in their flesh. And that they need to be born again by the Spirit of God because they cannot perfectly obey God. The only way that they can obey the Lord, the only way they can please God is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That they would be saved by grace because they can't live this Christian life any other way without Jesus. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And they can't without Christ. They have to know what sin is. And emphasize how evil it is before God. Your children need to understand how evil sin is and how much God hates it. How much God, and these six things that we're going to go through, yea, seven are an abomination as we go through them. The things that God hates. That he's, he hates that. And he doesn't just hate that in lost people. He hates that in saved people. Do you understand that? He hates that. You're going to understand it over the next few weeks. Amen. But, but he hates it in saved people. He hates when we have a proud look. 
when we have a heart that devises mischief and all those other things, we have feet that be swift to run to mischief, right? When we have a heart that devises wicked imaginations, God hates that. God hates those things. And we have to learn that, right? And this will help form a child's character. It'll help form them to understand, wow, God hates us. By the way, it helps form our character too, right? When we realize, whoa, that behavior is not acceptable. I'm not supposed to imagine things in my mind against people that I don't have any proof of. I'm not supposed to evil surmise. I'm not supposed to have wicked imaginations. I have to put that down, casting down every imagination, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. I have to cast it down. I'm not allowed to do that in my mind. That'll bring a lot of peace to your heart when you realize that you have to obey that and you're not allowed to do that. But what about all these fearful things? What about them? Doesn't matter. Cast them down. Amen. You're not allowed to do that. God says that's bad character and God hates it. It's bad Christian character. Amen. So anyway, we have to teach young people what God, and old people, by the way, the precepts of the law what God hates and what he loves. Because by the way, when you preach the law to people, it brings conviction. It brings conviction to their heart. It brings that guilt. It lays that guilt to their heart. That's what the law of God does, the perfect law of, law of God does. It brings, it, brings, it brings them to guilt. Like That's what, that's what it's for. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. They don't want to stop running their mouth, do they? Lost sinners, when we were lost, we don't want to stop running our mouth about that. Right? But every mouth may be stopped. And you're guilty. Well, what does a guilty person do? Shuts their mouth. <laughs> Should, right? When the law does that work, right? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the law just shows us that we're utter helpless sinners. That we can't possibly obey God perfectly. That we are fallen in nature. That we need to be saved. That we need Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.24 And here it is, the last verse, and we're done. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. It says was because those that are saved have already been born again. And the law brought them to Jesus Christ to show them that they needed him. That's what the law set them down before. But to the lost out there, the law is still a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ because they're still dead in trespasses and sins. They've still, they, they have still rejected the God of the Bible. They have still gone about concerning their own righteousness. They are still dead in trespasses and sins and need to be born again. So the law schools them. That's why when you see cocky and arrogant people, they don't like when you preach the law to them out on the street. They want you to preach, Jesus loves everybody and has a wonderful plan for your life. They want you to preach, 
that God's okay with them being gay. They want you to preach that God's okay with them living a drunkard, living a, in fornication, living wickedly. God's okay with them going their own way and doing their own thing because Jesus is just loves everybody. It's not true. He loves and he hates. And his act of love was to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for sinners. And if you reject that act of love, you're rejecting the love of God and you're saying, I want the hate. I want the wrath of God because I want to go my own way and do my own thing. There is no middle ground. There is no in-between. There is only, you're either Christ or you're Antichrist. There's only two teams. Amen. Amen. That's it. So the law is preached. That's why sinners need the law preached. Oh, prophesy into smooth things. That's what they want to hear, right? No, they can't. Why? They can't. They won't do anything with it, but mock it. If somebody makes you comfortable in your sin, what do you do? Keep sinning. When God makes you uncomfortable in your sin, even as a saved person, when God makes you uncomfortable in sin, convicts you, what, what happens? Brings you to repentance. You don't want to live like that. You don't want to, you don't want to be that way. Right? So to make a sinner comfortable in their sin and in their lifestyle is to damn them to hell by your own words and your misuse of Scripture. Amen. Preaching grace, preaching peace and safety when then come a sudden destruction. You're lying to them. You're deceiving them. And there's a lot of men in pulpits that they're going to burn hotter in hell. Those lost sinners that stood up in pulpits and preached a different Christ to people. They're going to they're, they're gonna burn hot. Hotter. Right? Because they turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness and lied to those people. It didn't preach out of them what God said to preach. They preached out of their own heart and their own imagination. It's a terrible thing. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your words. Lord, thank you that we have the authority of Scripture. And Lord, if there be one here that's not saved, one or two that's lost and dead in their sins, and the wrath of God is upon them, and they see that the avenger blood is coming for them, that they are in trouble with God, that they are dead in their sins. May they come to Christ, who is in no life everlasting, that he will abundantly pardon them if they will repent and believe the gospel. And Lord, if they feel themselves at a place that they cannot do that yet, Lord, we pray that you would work on their hearts and not let one of them go. And Lord, that they would pray that you would show them the reality of these things, that it would be clear to them that they would be born again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.